0: You've arrived in Forks with Chelsea and Grace. Chapter 5. Invitations, or Bella Good, Edward Bad High school has worsened from purgatory to hell for R. Edward as he sets out to prove that he can totally ignore Bella forever. She is not going to die or get turned into a vampire, not on his watch. He goes so far as to not even look at her when she asks him a direct question in biology, and he claims teenagers are dramatic. But Edward has to stay strong. He just knows that if he lets down his guard, he would fall in love with Bella instantly, despite still knowing nothing about her.
1: I would not destroy Bella's future. If I was destined to love her, then wasn't avoiding her the very least
0: I could do? That's Edward always doing the very least. In all his spare time ignoring her, Eddie tells us that he experiences four categories of Bella torture. Thirst, curiosity, and... Well, he actually never names the third and fourth categories, or if he does, it's way later in the chapter when we have long forgotten that he was making a list. Just another example of Meyer's convoluted writing. We've gone over the thirst stuff ad nauseum. Let's talk about the curiosity. According to Edward, there are so many curious things that Bella does, including twisting her hair, throwing her books down on the desk, coming to class late, tapping her foot. Though these sound like typical high school student behaviors, they are all a, quote, maddening mystery to Ed. It isn't just the hair twirling, though. Don't forget, Bella is not like the other girls at Forks High. She's nice. She asked the stoner girl, Pariah, to be in her biology group project. She stands up for Eric, who is getting made fun of because he wanted to go to Comic-Con. Bella is totally a nerd, too, but a hot, mysterious nerd. She gave up her locker so two friends could be close to each other. She compliments teachers' lessons plans when they're having bad days.
1: Is any of this in the original Twilight? Kind and self-effacing and unselfish and brave. She was good through and through and no one seemed aware of it besides me.
0: Mike certainly isn't aware, in Edward's mind at least. He thinks Mike is obsessed with Bella. I mean, he's always trying to talk to her and impress her, you know, like a regular high schooler with a crush. Meanwhile, Alice is pouting because she wants to be BFS with Bella already. To add to the drama, it's almost time for Fork Sadie Hawkins dance. The girls are supposed to ask the boys, but of course all of Bella's little human male friends ask her anyway. Even Eric, who Edward feels is way below Bella's league with his, quote, unhealthy skin. Poor Eric. Edward is having a fun time sneaking around the school, hiding behind corners to watch Bella reject all these guys. Of course she lets them all down gently, kind and perfect as she is. Her excuse is that she's going to be in Seattle the night of the dance. Even though this is a perfectly valid excuse, Edward starts to get the idea that maybe she's holding out for him. He decides he will lift the shut to reiterate to her that they shouldn't be friends. Or rather, It's better if we're not friends. Trust me. That's like texting someone, Don't ever talk to me again, three months after your last conversation. Just let it go. Bella's getting annoyed with his back and forth, which Ed finds delightful, and again asks why, if he doesn't want to be friends with her, he didn't just let her get killed by the van. It only stands to reason that Bella only has two moods, either be friends with someone or watch them die a preventable violent death. That night, Edward decides to go hunting to sate his thirst, but there's only so many black bears and elk you can suck on. Eventually, midnight arrives, and Ed finds himself outside of Bella's house, thinking of all the ways she can die—home intruder, poisonous spider, car crash—humans really are so fragile. Just to be safe, he decides to sit in a rocking chair in her room and
1: watch her sleep like the creep that he is. I could not understand why I had not immediately found her beautiful. It seemed an obvious thing. He does kill a brown recluse while he's there,
0: so at least that's something. He also uses this time to reflect on how he's a villain and someone as good as Bella would never like him. He tells us how he and his family have committed tax fraud, identity theft, and insider trading. They also murdered a couple people back in the day and never served time for any of it. Just as he's feeling down on himself, Bella starts sleep-talking and says his name, asking him not to go away, and man
1: oh man, he's giddy as a schoolboy. Yet, I could not feel the monster now, could not find him anywhere in me. Perhaps, love had silenced him forever. If I killed her now, it would not be intentional, only a horrible accident.
0: Phew, now maybe they have a chance together. Maybe, if he was really, really careful, he could even be with human Bella for her whole life while she gets old and wrinkly. The next day at school, he decides to make a move once and for all. He needs to know if Bella likes, likes him more than a friend.
1: All my plotting and planning was entirely moot. If she didn't care for me too, wasn't
0: it? Yes, very good point. He decides to ask her if she wants a ride to Seattle the night of the dance. Which would be a kind gesture, except to do it, he makes fun of her car and calls her, quote, utterly absurd. In his mind, this is fun and flirty. When she finally agrees to take the ride, he warns her, You really should stay away from me. See you in class. In addition to being a gaslighter, Edward
1: Cullen has zero game. You may be wondering, where in the world is Bella? But here's the thing. We were gonna do this whole cool section where, you know, we talk about what Edward's doing in the book and then we talk about what Bella's doing in the Twilight book. But here's the thing they're together. All the time. And if they're not together, Edward is in some way spying on Bella. So we always know what Bella is doing. So we're nixing the section because they're always together. It doesn't matter. We don't need to know where Bella is because we already know in Edward's mind all the time. If it ever changes, we'll bring this section back. Yes. If it matters. It does not matter
0: right now. So nothing really matters in this book, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um... What were you saying? You said this was really difficult to summarize, wasn't it? Yes, because every chapter,
0: nothing really happens in every chapter. Like, the actual actions are so, I mean, in this chapter, what? He goes to school and he um, talks to Bella. He goes hunting. Everything Mm -hmm. is, like, in Edward's mind. It's basically just stream of consciousness, but his mind is annoying and he just says the same thing over and over again. Right. And it's like he explains things instead
1: of actually showing them. Right. And in contrast to the actual Twilight book, the original first in the series, uh, kind of like skimming through and rereading it. I'm not actually rereading the book, but skimming through, the writing style is so much different. There's so much more white space on the pages, mm-hmm. um, whereas in Midnight Sun, we get lots of blocks of text and we have like 40 page chapters of just Edward thinking of how he's different from everybody else, thinking why Bella's different from everybody else. Why am I attracted to Bella? Why do I want to kill her? Why do I want to love her? Why do I hate this person? Why am I so hungry? Why am I a monster? We're just this, every chapter's the same, internal monologue, just <laughs> endless. And I'm like, Edward was more attractive in Twilight than he is in Because he was more mysterious. Now because he was more mysterious. Now we know everything that's going on in his mind. I am like, God, if teenager Chelsea was reading this book i don't think that i would find him attractive at all nothing I about feel this like is attractive at the
0: time team edward people might have liked it but um what i the one thing i did like about this chapter is okay because I, so I kept saying he's obsessed with bella yet she does nothing like she flips her hair right but in this chapter he outlines why he likes her of course it's because she's good and apparently that's like the right. only positive trait like a woman can have in this book series but you know he highlights why she's or, like, what he finds mysterious about her and how she, like, helps teachers. Is that in the original book? I feel like it's not. I don't I remember her some complimenting of it's in the original book.
1: a teacher's lessons plans. No, I don't think so. I think some of it's in the original book. I think the Comic-Con conversation might be in the original book. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember the locker switching. So, in this chapter, like, in our summary, like, you know, Bella invites the stoner to be in her biology
0: uh, Yeah, group. and they were like, this one girl's a stoner and everyone hates her. I'm like, I'm pretty sure everyone would love her. Like, what? <laughs> Hello? Like, people live in Forks, Washington. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're all um, high yeah. and
1: mighty and they live in Washington. Hello.
0: Marijuana is right. legal there.
1: And, you know, Bella is nice to the teachers. I feel like a lot of students are nice to teachers. I just don't understand that the, the picture that this paints of high school bothers me because every single student at Forks High is horrible <laughs> and annoying to each other. And I think, like, there are those stereotype, stereotypical people in high school people mm-hmm. that are annoying and people that are horrible to each other. But you also meet some pretty nice, normal people in school. Yeah. And, you know. Not Bella.
0: Jacob. He doesn't go to her school.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Jacob hasn't showed up yet either in this book at all. He has not. And I'm actually really excited to hear how much Edward hates Jacob. Oh, my God. It's going to be
0: like three chapters of being like, Jacob smells. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But yeah. So, like Grace said, we finally find out why Edward likes Bella. And it's because she's good. What does he say? He says, um,. On page 92, quote, Bella was good. And that's italicized. All the other things added up to that whole kind and self effacing and unselfish and brave. She was good through and through. And nobody seemed aware but me. Which, it's like, okay. also,
0: Bella's not okay. She's just like a regular teenager in high school. Like, call me when she's, you know, leading a protest. She's not doing anything that's that, like, amazing right. for society. But in Edward's mind, she's like Mother Teresa, who. It's problematic in her own (laughs) way but i'm just saying like he's i don't know um yeah but something else i found interesting in this this is something that we've talked about a lot like how old is edward because he's old but like mentally Mm -hmm. and so he says quote after they turn into vampires quote myself also had frozen as it was my personality my likes and dislikes my moods and desires all were fixed in place So that's kind of saying okay I'm not going to go behind the science of that, like maturity is just experiencing life over time. But if he's stuck in the mentality that he was when he got changed when he was like 17,
1: it kind of makes sense. But then the book does not read as a 17-year-old. Right. And so I have something to say about this because, okay, so let's, you know, suspend our disbelief for a second and just assume that Edward is stuck as an 18th century 17-year-old boy, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So that means he says his personality, his likes, his dislikes, they all stay the same. Does that mean they never change? I think we do have to talk about like the lore or the world building behind this because Stephanie Meyer constantly introduces these concepts into her novels, but either lets them fall by the wayside or completely rewrites them in later books. And I think that's problematic, especially with this one. So Edward will, he's a 17 year old boy mentally, Mm -hmm. but he likes Debussy. Does that mean he'll never like TikTok or like meme culture or like watch shows like eric andre because he's like from the 17th or the 18th century like or like 1800s also
0: were 17 year olds really that boring back then i mean i guess 17 then was like 30 now but
1: (laughs) right which is that's another thing too people like matured and putting this in quote matured faster back then not necessarily they were forced into adulthood quicker um which means they had to present as adults earlier but so I had the question, like, when does the brain actually mature? Right. So I Googled this 24. Uh, because 25, apparently. So I found an interesting article in NPR called Brain Maturity Extends Well Beyond Teen Years. And it talks, there's a neuroscientist, Sandra Amott. She kind of wrote this book about children's brains and like when they mature. Uh, and they talk, she talks about w- at what age do, you know, brains mature Um. We have all these laws in place like at 18 year old 18 years old you're an adult and you can do x y and z things you can join the military you can vote you know drive a car buy cigarettes whatever Mm -hmm. you can't rent a car until you're 25 they actually make an interesting point that the car rental industry got it right first (laughs) that you're not mature your brain isn't fully developed until 25 which means you shouldn't be making adult decisions until then so here's a quote for you The changes that happen between 18 and 25 are a continuation of the process that starts around puberty. And 18-year-olds are about halfway through that process. Their prefrontal cortex is not yet fully developed. That's the part of the brain that helps you to inhibit impulses and to plan and organize your behaviors to reach a goal. I wanted to read that quote because in that quote, it says to inhibit your impulses. When you're 18, you're kind of like halfway there. Yeah. Also in this article they say that girls mature two years quicker than boys. So at twenty-five a girl's fully mature. Twenty-seven is more typical for boys. And so Edward's seventeen. His prefrontal cortex is not fully developed by the time he was turned. No. So I'm, his impulses are like much stronger, right?
0: Just think of like any seventeen year old boy you've ever talked to. Edward is not
1: <laughs> that right. at all. And I like the science behind that. I think that's interesting that they're kind of, you know, stuck in place in that age. Yeah. But I think the problem is that he's not written like he's stuck in place. No. And even so, like,
0: I mean, that's the thing with Twilight, though. Like, it's not really about the fantasy that much. Like, if she wanted it to be, she could have. It's really just about the love story. Like, you can't get lost in the weeds because that's not... This book is not, like, sci-fi fantasy, like, you know, hard magic or whatever as they call it. But True. it's just, like... Yeah, well, I feel like she's trying to do that to make it not creepy that he likes Bella, but it doesn't really add up because it it doesn't fit in in. with the rest of his personality at all. He does not seem like a
1: teenager at all. Right, Um, and I think that's important to point out. I think that this is written into Midnight Sun. This little paragraph where she talks about he's frozen in time is to kind of, you know, wash herself of that like icky kind of creepy vibe that Edward, the 108-year-old, is dating the 17-year-old girl, Bella. Um... And that's like so far, that's the only mention we have of like what it means to be turned as a vampire. You kind of get stuck and frozen in place. I just don't think a 17 year old from the 1800s would ever be attracted to a 17 year old from the, two, the early 2000s. Like I just don't think it's possible, especially if the 17 year old from the 1800s is stuck as a 17 year old from the 1800s with his likes, his dislikes, and his personality. Does't make sense? How do you have a conversation with him? He's listening to Debussy and you're listening to Creed. Like, come on. We learned that she she does like Debussy. That's
0: the only one she likes with classical (laughs) music. But um, also, it's like, I I think my issue, she should have just made vampires, like, just different, like, not human at all. They're too close to being human. Like, if they weren't in high school, like I said, she should have made them meet at work, working at a national park. Because then he would be, like, otherworldly, you know, it'd be, like, dating an alien. If the alien was, like, 500 years old, I mean, it doesn't really matter. You're from, like, two different planets, literally, if that's an alien. (laughs) But it's kind of, like... He's like still very
1: human. I don't know. The whole thing doesn't make sense. We could go in circles about that, like five. We could, because. But I do think like the age difference is something to bring up. Like in pop culture, in media, there's tons of like odd, uncomfortable age difference couples that people like tend to, you know, put on pedestals, mm -hmm. or they really like them or fetishize them. A recent one is "Call Me by Your Name," where you have Elio, uh, played by Timothy Chalamet, seventeen years old falls in love with a 25-year-old played by what's his name Army Hammer Army Hammer um Oliver and like this is like one of the most popular films that came out in the last 3 years and I loved the film I but know, afterwards and the book I too. I start and I love the book too and then after the film I start questioning like is this uncomfortable and then when you learn things like your prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until you're 25, I'm like, it kind of is uncomfy to read that. They should have made
0: – now we're, like, telling all these people. But, like, Elio and uh, what's-his-face Oliver. Oliver could have been
1: closer in age easily without really disrupting be, the story. Yeah, They did not need to have the age gap. And, like, you see these uncomfortable age gaps in everything. Like, Lolita, you have, mm-hmm. like, a middle-aged professor obsessing That's over like a, a 12-year-old girl, room. literally – but the, the thing is, is like these kinds of relationships show up in pop culture and nobody is questioning them. And we see them to this day. Like Call Me By Your Name came out like three years ago. And that was one of the most popular fetishized romances of like modern or like contemporary cinema. And simil- I think Edward and Bella is like a similar concept. And we have to like question these things. And one paragraph written in a chapter <laughs> in Midnight Sun is not going to make me think that Edward is still 17 year old boy. It does not make sense.
0: It does not. Um, and then another thing I didn't like from this chapter is Edward is like, I'm a villain. I'm so bad. But like he, and that's his whole thing. He thinks that Bella won't ever love him because Bella is good and he thinks he's like this terrible villain. But is he actually that evil? I mean, his whole thing is that his family is not an evil vampire. So right. it's like, to me, it would have been more interesting to see him like actually be this like evil demonic entity and then change his ways because he fell in love. But that now it's like... would be much more intriguing. He already is on the road to like being good he's as good as he can be given his circumstance and how he needs to live on
1: you know human blood (laughs) right that's that's a great question i think like we talked a little bit about vampire lore in one of our earlier episodes maybe it was the the prologue episode Mm -hmm. um vampires are demonic depending on what folklore you're looking into Mm -hmm. um but stephanie meyer doesn't really go into the folklore she doesn't really go into the science or the fantasy of what vampires are as a creature but she imbues edward with this hatred of himself so we get the idea that edward is a christian you know that kind of unfolds throughout the series he's a christian so obviously to him being turned into like a quote-unquote soulless creature means he's demonic means he's not going to heaven and that's like his plight throughout the story and i think that's interesting i think it's really interesting to see a character struggle with their religion and who they are as a person um, and how do they overcome it? I don't think Edward ever overcomes this self-hate. And I don't know if he ever will, but he will eventually get the girl. And he will eventually, you know, go to hell with the girl if he were to ever die. Um, but I don't think he's a villain. I do think he's a stalker. Edward yes. leveled up this this freaking chapter, guys. He used to just be like, you know, your good guy, Edward the good guy, in quotes, with the fedora hat. He has leveled up to stalker, folks. And that is a, a shade of evil. A shade of yes. evil. Yes,
0: well, that's what I I was, in my notes, I was like, okay, he's not a villain. The most, like, the worst thing that he does is that he is, like, a creep and a stalker and a pedophile. But that's not painted as being bad in the book. So, right. it's kind of like, I just don't think they did a good job of being like, oh, he's so evil. She'll And she's so good. It's like, they're both just, like, kind of lukewarm on both the scales. Like, she's not amazing and he's not this, like... He's actually the opposite of evil for a vampire. Like, that's their whole shtick, is that they're not murdering people. So, right. it just doesn't make sense to me why he thinks he's right. such a vampire, or why he thinks he's such a monster when he, like, does everything he can to not be a monstrous vampire. He's a monster in
1: other ways, but he doesn't realize right. that. Can we talk about the stalker thing for a second? Because yes. Because I think this will play into, as we continue talking about this book, like, Edward's actions as a whole. Edward... <laughs> If you're not reading the book and you're just listening to us talk about this podcast, Edward does, at this point in his story and in the original Twilight, start to sit in Bella's room, watch her sleep. And I think he does this for multiple months before they get into a relationship.
0: Because he can hear her sleep talk. And so he can't read her mind when she's awake, but when she's sleeping, he can, like, get... Even though sleep talk... When I sleep talk, I'm, like, spaghetti. You know, it's not anything, like, Like,
1: revealing. Right. Like, you want me to see... You want to see me talk to my sleep paralysis demon? Sure. Come on in. Like, no. This is, you know, it kind of lends to Edward being kind of creepy, but the way it's shown in the original Twilight and in Midnight Sun is kind of, like, endearing in a way. Oh, he's protecting her. He's protecting her. And I just want to say... Ladies and gents and them's out there, this is not endearing. This is like stalking, and stalking is like what is it a? It is a, a class four felony <laughs> in Illinois. Okay, at least um,
0: now without someone's permission. Actually, if I had like a vampire boyfriend, I'd be like, yeah, totally, like you know, keep track of my house while I sleep and make me feel really safe. But she's he's doing it without ask asking no her consent. If what if she woke up and he. She, she's like that would scare the shit out of me if i woke up and someone was just like sitting in a chair watching me sleep in a rocking chair it's like especially at this
1: point at this point in the story edward is so hot and cold with her he's like he just saved her from the van he's not talking to her at school um and when they do talk at school he gaslights her into being like oh you're absurd like you have no idea what you're thinking you're doing this again you're making things up and it's like okay if i woke up to the guy who gaslights me sitting in my room be like, you better believe I'd call my dad, Charlie, the cop, into the room and to take care of him. Well, he also, every time he talks to her, he's like, hey, can I give you a ride to
0: Seattle? By the way, you should stay away from me. It's like, dude,
1: <laughs> what are you-, you? Oh, this boy. He gives me whiplash. He truly gives me whiplash. Um, and there's a moment in this chapter where... Uh he obviously gives Bella whiplash as well, because she asks like, do you have multiple personality disorder? Because he's one second. He's like, yes, we're, we can be friends, but I'm evil and you shouldn't be near me. But you want to go to Seattle, but you shouldn't go near me because I'm evil. And she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're sending me mixed signals. And I'm like, honey, she's send- he's sending you worse than mixed signals. He's sending you psycho signals. It's time to get out before it's too late. And. Yeah, no. The stalker thing is insane. It's not endearing. We shouldn't be putting this in books where young readers are going to be reading this and thinking, like, this is like a cool, interesting relationship. Like, I want somebody to do this with me. It's like, no. If this actually happened to you in real life, bad news bears. Agreed. Bad news bears.
0: Agreed. I think that's a good place to end this chapter. We have a lot more stalking to go. (laughs) I can't wait for more stalking. Let's do it. Woo. And that closes this chapter. See you next time in Forks.